Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined by Braden Dollar Coltman. And we are back. We were off last week. And Elliot is still out east at a wedding. And uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that it is or is not Darnell Nurse's wedding. But it, but it probably isn't. Uh, regardless, Elliot will not he's be joining us. He's probably crashing that. He'll, he'll probably crash that as well. That's right. So he's he won't be joining us this week, which is fine. We will talk about the Padres in spite of the fact that he's not here. Because there is some news to talk about. We're going to talk about baseball a little bit at the end of the show. So if you're here for that. You can skip ahead if you want or stick around. We're going to have two other conversations and they are not quite as comfortable or laissez-faire summer sports conversations. They're a bit more serious, but we, you know, that's what the show is about. So we're going to get to that. Uh, and, um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Let's get to it. Here's topic one. All right. So um, we've talked a couple times on the show already this year about the case of Brittany Griner, the uh, American basketball player, um, member of the WNBA who was arrested right after uh, Russia invaded Ukraine in the spring. Um, she was, she was stopped at an airport and searched and was accused and then charged with possession of hashish in the form of vape cartridges. Um, she was then detained in Russia and uh, waited there for trial. She went to trial and they eventually chose to plead guilty, hoping for, um, some type of deal to be able to be struck. Uh, a lot of experts surrounding, you know, um, these kind of detentions by countries that are using them for some form of political gain uh, had speculated that obviously until there's an actual conviction, it's very hard for the American side to actually negotiate for her release or for her, some type of prisoner swap or uh, any situation like that. So it felt like in the decision to plead guilty, they were hoping for, um, an expedited process. She was convicted this week of nine years in prison for this offense. Interestingly, um, the most recent case in Russia publicly um, of a similar type of charge, the conviction was two years. So obviously this is a pretty severe sentence um, to say the least. However, I think there is still hope that now that at least this part of the process has gone through, that there may be an opportunity for negotiating a prisoner swap or some type of um, negotiated release may, may, may be able to happen quickly. Obviously, a lot of reactions from around the sports world, especially obviously in the WNBA, there was a very tense um, press conference with the Phoenix Mercury players, uh, who are, of course, her friends, her family. Uh, they referred to her multiple times as their sister. This is obviously a very difficult thing for her family and for those who care and love her. So difficult situation all around. Braden, obviously, you know, you've been following this. You're a basketball fan, sports fan. It's kind of hard to miss right now. It's It's been a big part of the conversation, especially this time of year when there isn't a thousand other distractions. Um, do you think that this story is, number one, getting the attention that perhaps it deserves and secondarily how has the coverage of the story been from your perspective well it yeah it definitely has swept across uh this nation uh, north of where Brittany Griner's from uh quite heavily I think that the media has been covering this quite um quite handily I think the the politic aspect of it is is a huge component but I think that the fact that the media has been following it as aggressively as they have 
um, in my opinion, right, rightfully so, has also caused a bit of a problem, I think, when it comes to the political nature of it and, and what Russia wants, you know, that there's a lot of talk right now with what the next steps are of a prisoner swap. Uh, you know, the Kremlin has come out to say that we don't want fanfare. We don't want there to be a focus on the media as being, the, the, you know, as, as big as it is. I think the challenge, though, is that it already is there and that I, I don't see that changing. So uh, it's going to be a bit of a, uh, a tricky next few steps of how, you know, how do they, how do they get her back on home soil? Yeah. The, the challenging thing that, that always seems to happen with these and, and not just obviously when it's sports related, but just when it's sort of one of these diplomatic um, uh, foreign detention situations. And I'm thinking of like the Michaels, the two Michaels, the, the Canadian mm-hmm. um, gentlemen that were both held in China as sort of retaliation for the Meng Wanzhou uh, arrest here in Vancouver. And obviously throughout that entire process, the challenges you have two um, opposing governments who have both uh, international and domestic politics to contend with. And they're, they're both in these zero sum games where they can't uh, appear to be weak or to be kowtowing to a foreign uh, influence, you know, the, the Russians obviously have a lot of international pressure on them for very good reason surrounding the, the entire um, war in Ukraine and in their invasion of that country. And so the challenge for the American side is to find an amicable solution that allows Russia to, and, and as awful as this is, I mean, you really, you have to find a way for them to uh, play to their own base with a sense of saving face, but equally for Biden's administration, there is a challenge of trying to figure out how do they also, you know, take the incoming fire they're getting from their own um, political situation. You know, we're in a midterm year. There's all of these other factors. The truth is at the end of the day, these are people's lives, you know, and obviously Brittany Griner is not the only um, political prisoner uh, in Russia. Uh, She's not the only political prisoner right now being detained elsewhere, uh, an American or Canadian or um, a a dozen other countries, regardless. So the challenge is that, as you say, like the media attention is important. If this was, as we talked about previously, like LeBron James or an equivalent player at at, at a higher profile, and let's be honest, a a male athlete, the conversation probably would be even more ratcheted up. But I think it's a a very tricky and and, and messy situation. I would say that um, it's interesting because what I haven't heard yet, and and obviously this is the pressing moment here, but there's obviously a lot of, there was, there was a lot of um, backlash and sort of anger at how severe the sentence was. The irony I find with that is that we have people who are serving 10, 15, 20 year sentences in the United States right now for lesser drug offenses. Oh, for sure. um, the majority of them being uh, men of color. And the reality is that it's very easy to look at Russia and, and, and exclaim our outrage with this situation and rightfully so. However, I think it's also important to recognize that, you know, this is, they're playing a political ransom game. Yeah. In America and in Canada right now, similar types of things with their own domestic citizens are occurring. And it's a, it's a, you know, I I agree with you. It's a, it's, it's a, it's something to make sure that, people are actually reflecting on back home. I think that the other aspect of reflecting on this whole situation is like, how do we get, how do we make sure that uh, a Brittany Griner doesn't get put into a situation like this? This was still a mistake. It was a mistake that she had made. 
you, you know, the, the severity of the punishment is, is astronomical in comparison to what, you know, we deem our, our policies and our, um, you know, wrong and right from our, you know, yeah, you're shaking your head a little bit because of what you just said with the, the states and everything. And I, I think that that's true, but, but those policies are there right now. And so how, how do we ensure that that does, you know, that that kind of mistake doesn't happen? I think that Brittany Griner and her camp have done a really great job at just going, look, we made a mistake. I was not out to harm anyone. I was not out to sell anything here. This, this was something, a medical use of my, you know, she, she expressed her, her, um, just an acknowledgement, I think, of of having made a mistake, and I and you know, in hopes that that would make an impact on sentencing, but also knowing that this is a formality, and and if I want to be able to get back to the states as as quickly as ex- expeditiously as possible, th- these are the steps that I need to do. Yeah. Well, as I say, it's evolving, uh, and we'll wait now. Hopefully, the process with this potential prisoner swap or whatever the diplomatic res- resolution to this could be um, can happen quickly for her sake, for her family's sake. And I would hope that, uh, you know, for the other people who are less famous in similar situations, similar kinds of outcomes may be possible. Um, that's the biggest part of it. But uh, as I say, we've, we've covered it a couple of times. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. We'll leave it here for now. That's topic one. Topic two this week is brought to us by Busy Bee Vegan Skincare. Busy Bee is an all-natural skincare line dedicated to healthy, vegan, plant-based skincare and overall wellness. They offer a selection of handcrafted body scrubs, butters, and washes that not only make your skin glow, but smell amazing. Their unique all-natural scents include gingerbread, ruby grapefruit, caramel cake, and morning latte. So why not treat your skin to something fresh and all-natural? Head over to shopbusybevegan.com today. And as a special bonus, Busy Bee is offering listeners of this podcast a 15% discount on your first order with the code ORDINARYPODCASTS. Let's turn our attention now in topic two to the NFL. Uh, Preseason getting underway here uh, in about a week, and we are learning now a little bit about what the um well this we knew for a while there was going to be a resolution or some type of um verdict brought down uh surrounding this deshaun watson situation so for those who haven't been following it deshaun watson previously of the texas no the texans the houston texans um football team who has now been traded to the cleveland browns quarterback for the cleveland browns currently um had been accused uh Actually, he had been um, sued 24 times and he had settled 23 of 24 civil lawsuits accusing him of coercive and lewd sexual behavior during massage appointments, uh, with two of them alleging sexual assault. Grand juries in two Texas counties had declined to charge him criminally, which is why these were brought as lawsuits. Um, The NFL... uh, once they became aware of this situation launched what had turned into about a 15 month investigation into the sexual misconduct claims made against him. Um, And based on previous uh, situations where the NFL has faced criticism for its handling of similar situations, it currently has a policy where it employs an outside counsel to review these investigations. So mostly after the situation like the Ray Rice um, sort of debacle or situations where the NFL has been under fire for lacking teeth when it comes to punishing players who have com- committed out of football related um, issues, 
code of conduct problems, sexual assault problems, domestic violence problems. Um, the list goes on. Uh, they felt they needed to have an outside person deal with this. So that is the current policy. That person in this situation was Judge Sue Robinson. She's a retired federal judge who was appointed by the NFL and the NFL Players Association to oversee the player discipline. Um, so this is a process, uh, much like arbitration, where it's taken out of the hands of the league or the player and, and given to this independent counsel. At the end of the day, she ruled that based on the evidence that she saw and the testimony that she was made aware of, that Deshaun Watson should be suspended for six games. Remember, there's 17 games in an NFL season. So she, she suspended him for six games um, for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy. He was not fined. Um, so that was the original verdict. Immediately, obviously, there was a lot of uh, surprise and I think outrage and anger that it was only this much for the amount of accusations. And clearly settling 23 of 24 cases is at least some omission that enough occurred that you weren't able to sort of take them all um, to court and, and defend yourself. At the end of the day, the NFL has now stepped in, and this is, again, a very unprecedented. The NFL is actually challenging um, Sue Robinson's suspension, and they are seeking a, a greater suspension. They would like to see him suspended for the season, if not indefinitely. This is a first, I think, in the modern age of the NFL to see the NFL actually be the more aggressive when it comes to punishment. And it's interesting because for, and I, I am leading to a question, but what's interesting for me is that the very purpose of having Judge Robertson in this position was to prevent the NFL from having to administer these suspensions themselves. Yeah. And, and that's in one of the they... first or biggest profile ones they've had so far, they're already saying she hasn't gone far enough and they'd already like to impose punishment themselves, which is fascinating. So do you think that six games was enough is the first question. And then secondly, what was your, what was your reaction when you saw the NFL's uh, challenge? Uh, no, I do not think six games is enough. Uh, as for the NFL's challenge, I want to get one thing kind of cleared up here. The, the, this arbitrator, Robertson, came in because the NFL, the last go around, made the decisions and, and around the whole Ray Rice situation. Is that right? And now, and now they've, there was a collective bargaining agreement that That's made right. the, the NFLPA uh, allowed to have a, an independent arbitrator right. dealing so with these kinds this of was, things. This was the first player disciplinary decision to be handed down by the arbitration process that was established in the 2020 collective bargaining agreement. So it's okay. a new part of the, the CBA. But it's appointed by the NFL commissioner. I believe it is jointly appointed. The, the okay. individual is jointly appointed by the NFL. So sure, the commissioner or the whatever governing body within the NFL makes those kind of appointments. And um, they have to equally be approved by the Players Association, I guess the head of that or some committee again. Yeah. So it is a jointly appointed individual. The point being, it should be a, um, an individual who has no invested interest in either party. That's the idea, obviously. But as I say, this is the very first time that this process has been used. And on case one, the NFL is already feeling yeah, like the, the, the judgment is not, is not stiff enough. Well, I've, look at the, look at the, Look at what he's done. Look at look at you know the like you said he, he's settled twenty two I think of twenty four uh, uh, 
of the of the lawsuits that have come forth i mean the fact it's not just one person it's not just two people there's like a breadth of different individuals have described this happening and for him you know i think that specifically speaking to to sean watson there's been no no uh, again acknowledgement remorse he has he had still not that he had still stated over and over again that he doesn't regret anything that he has never disrespected any woman like if those are the things that are coming out of his mouth it's very clear that he has no concept or understanding of the actual situation taking place so for him getting six games well party on and the, the other thing that's frustrating with all of this with, with the Cleveland Browns and when they, you know, they, they made this massive trade, biggest trade probably in NFL history. And then they signed him to this massive contract. I think it's 40 some million dollars a year. Uh, however, the first year with them knowing that there's going to be some sort of legal battle going forth and suspensions involved, they, they, you know, it's, he's only making a million dollars. So none of this is going to, ha- he's not going to make any of this money until next year when he's actually playing again. Like it's just, the consequences don't seem like they're matching up. And, and so this individual who is clearly a predator and clearly, you know, a perpetrator of these events that are taking place, uh, it, there's, there's, there's no action. There's no understanding that this is actually a consequence uh, uh, of what's taking place. here. No, I agree. And I think, it, I mean, it's strange to say this, but I would say, you know, I would commend the NFL for, very swiftly um, uh, challenging this decision uh, in the right direction uh, to, to be seeking greater punishment suggests that the NFL is trying whether um, performatively or not to do the right thing, um, which is a step forward. We, we have seen, and we've talked look, to hockey Canada, we're talking about all these situations where these, these organizations and these um, leagues have dragged their feet, have sort of hidden the shadows. It would have been very easy for the NFL to say, well, it was her decision, not ours, and move on because they don't want, they traditionally wouldn't want to to deal with all of this. However, seeing them take a big step forward uh, in terms of seeking, um, I guess, sort of fair justice from their perspective, I think I, I I commend them for that. Yeah. And the six suspend, six game suspension was based on the fact that the arbitrator deemed that Watson had not committed any uh, sexual assault in a violent nature, Great. which means that the de- definition, you know, like the, the whole, the whole, where we're at with all of this is just, yeah. again, another smack on this is, we're not, we're not understanding. We're not understanding that no, this 100%. is, you know, and these so, women are, are, although not maybe all of them going to court, but, the fact is they're, they, they don't want to, they don't want to go and, and put themselves out there to, to be, uh, you know, public, uh, pu- publicly uh, engaged in all of this. It's so one other interesting fact I, I just wanted to bring up, cause I think it, it's an interesting sort of um, example of the politics at play here. So I think the league anticipated that they were going to have to challenge this to some degree. Interestingly, they sure. two days before the ruling came out, the players association released a statement saying that regardless of the length of the suspension, they would not be challenging preemptively saying, if he's suspended for a year, we're not going to challenge. If he's suspended for three days, we don't. And, and they said in the statement, we would encourage the NFL to do the same. So they were hedging their bets. Clearly they 
were betting that he would get less than what the NFL wanted and the NFL did not oblige and immediately challenged it. So it's interesting. That's from the player's perspective, player association perspective. At the same time, um, if you recall a week ago, the NFL um, disciplined the owner of the Miami dolphins for tampering. Yeah. He's been right. suspended from, from attending games for, I believe it's six or seven as well. Uh, part of the season uh, he's been uh, fined a significant amount of money. Uh, and there is a pe- apparently still the potential that his team could be punished with draft picks that has not yet been resolved. However, interesting timing wise that they go after an owner because the very first statement from Deshaun Watson's lawyers on behalf of the players association argued uh, and actually pointed specifically at multiple cases where owners who have been accused of similar crimes, sexual assault, sexual harassment, have not been disciplined by the league. In their statement, they specifically cited Dan Snyder of the Washington Commanders, Robert Kraft of the Patriots, and Jerry Jones of the Cowboys. All three, of course, have been accused of different situations recently, and none of them were disciplined by the league. So you could you could see the, the NFL knew that they are still themselves in a bit of a quagmire on how they have very um, inconsistently handled these situations at different times. And there was an argument and is an argument being made by the players association that if the league is not going to hold the billionaire owners that it represents to the same standard, it holds its players when we're dealing with, because again, the league can't, discipline him for the specific incidents because they did not occur within the league. It doesn't, you know, it, sure. it's not like, sure. like Marty McSorley or Todd Bertuzzi where like the assault happened in the game. The difference here is that what you are being punished for is breaching the player's code of conduct yeah, that yeah, you've you signed can, on. That's the issue. You're an organization. You know, this Their argument is uh, the players association argument is shouldn't the owners who are also a part of this league be held to a similar standard. Now that's a great conversation to have. I think it's a fair question to be asked. It's a very convenient argument to be made by Deshaun Watson and his lawyers when he himself is facing discipline. Um, but from the NFL's perspective, as I say, disciplining an owner the week before this ruling comes out definitely feels a bit politically motivated and sort of well, look, no, no, no. See, we're, we're doing the, we hold yeah, owners yeah, accountable yeah. too. Anyway, it's just interesting yeah. an interesting observation, I guess, uh, from what has been a strange week. Look, the NFL is the big, biggest sports entity probably in the world, but at least in North America uh, by a, by a very long, long margin, uh, a big margin. And it is, the time of year where a lot of people's attention comes back to the NFL spring training coming up fantasy drafts. Everybody's getting geared up and ready again for football season. And for the NFL, this is a, obviously a big, big problem that they are going to continue to have to unpack and deal with. I again, believe they're doing the right thing in challenging this. We'll wait and see if it bears fruit for them if they're able to get the suspension of course now the irony is it's going to another independent investigator yeah, separate right. from her so we're again we're, we're kind of going through the same process a second time <laughs> what do you now, think what do you yeah, think exactly what and that's the think? problem with this well right? for sure and he is i mean they're all about image right and 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 he is a face of the league because of because well, of the, the play on the and field here's the other challenge so making them one of the most, uh, yeah. you know, the highest paid salaries is a quarterback and he's yeah. played a year and a half. Here, here's a, here's the final sort of messy bit of business here under the current process. 
as I say, under the, under the 2020 collective bargaining agreement, Judge Sue Robinson would be issuing the preliminary decision. And then the league and the players association, as I said, would, would be able to challenge it in the instance that the players association challenged it. It would be arbitrated by the commissioner. He gets the final say. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how this now gets dealt with. Because as I say, you're going to have to either bring in another independent person or what, right? Like Uh, he can't, Roger Goodell can't now just say, thanks. It was really great. We went through this formal process. I'm going to do this myself. Well, that's just it. Yeah. They can't delegitimize their, their actual, their own process. Right. Because if they do, then what's the, what's the point of any of it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, just like our previous uh, topic, this is clearly evolving and will continue to to sort of have ripples. He will be suspended for six games regardless of this appeal. So uh, they're obviously seeking more games. So that doesn't impact the first six games. He will either be uh, out from September 11th, which is their first regular season game against the Carolina Panthers until October 23rd, which is their game against the Ravens or beyond that, regardless we're not, you know, Deshaun Watson will not be playing quarterback for the Browns until October 23rd or longer. Um, let's leave it there for now. Uh, that's topic two. Hello, football fans and fans of the Ordinary Podcast Network. My name is Tyler Walzak. I am here with Puya Ricey, and we are starting a podcast called Running Down the Clock. Each week, we're going to bring to you a little bit of football talk, player news, controversies, headlines, all the big plays, and then football action that you can handle. On August 11th, we will be debuting our podcast, and we are going to break down each division of the NFL up until the season begins. And once that season begins, it is nonstop football talk every Thursday, for the rest of the season. We look forward to you listening to us on the Ordinary Podcast Network. All right, let's uh let's finish on a bit more of a uh a fun note, uh, a little bit less uh well, just a, a little bit more fun. <laughs> baseball. Uh who doesn't Can I just baseball? say something? Can I just say something? Like since you have deemed this podcast as the unofficial uh Padres podcast um, of Canada. Of Canada, I, like you can't I can't tell you how much I I'm indifferent towards the Padres, but how much I'm thrilled that you now want to talk about baseball. Like it is it, it's it's liberated this podcast to be to you know to get to another level. So I'm sure. very excited for this topic. They'll win the the World Series and then we don't have to talk about baseball ever again. All right. All right. Well, let's talk baseball. And I am actually going to let you talk about more than just the Padres because I have some questions as again, I've acknowledged multiple times. Baseball is uh, further down the list of sports that I follow on a regular basis. I'm interested in October when you get to the playoffs because you've played like four or 500 games prior to that. And, and now it's time for some of them to actually matter in one Um, division. (laughs) Yeah. It's brutal. Look, the, 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 baseball baseball is what baseball is but there's a very fine window in the summer where it really matters and it kind of seems to be right now let's talk about august baseball august baseball my god okay so two things two two places i want to start and one of them doesn't involve um the the padres because there's a series right now where you have this weekend you had the dodgers and the and, and and the padres playing obviously they are the two top teams in the nl west it's not really close. I mean, the Padres aren't catching the Dodgers, but it's very likely um, that these two teams, if the Padres 
are going to have a run in the playoffs. And they certainly did enough at the deadline to suggest that that is their ambition. They're going to have to go through the LA Dodgers. Um, when you look at how these two teams have matched up and the, and more specifically from the Padres perspective, the deals they made Soto uh, and, yeah. and, and, and bulking up they, and, and, and the biggest thing is they're arguably their biggest acquisition is just about waiting for Tatis jr. To come back off of IR because all of a sudden you've added a, another huge weapon there. Do the Padres are the, are the Padres are the Padres really a threat to the Dodgers or are the Dodgers still the best team in baseball? This is so dumb. I know nothing about the National League. Like the Dodgers are very good. They've got 75 wins right now. Padres are sitting, I think, in uh, the first wild card spot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh no, they're they're the third wild card spot. Atlanta following Philly. Uh, Philly's going to trail off. San Diego's like they're they're primed. They were ready for this. They were ready to go all in for when Tatis, like you said, got back. Um, I, I think they're. I think they could make things spicy for the Dodgers. Who doesn't want to make things spicy for the, the Los Angeles Dodgers? All right. Well, let's come over to the American League then, because in a similar kind of chasing down the blue jays aren't likely to catch the yankees although you whoa easy no, easy no, no, no. they're only down nine and a half games yeah right they're only how many down games nine. did you say there were in the season exactly but they're yeah, only down nine and half. But they would need the yankees they would need the yankees to really have a, a major stumble here yeah. the truth is the, the blue jays are probably more likely than not with the injuries that they're fighting through a wild card team but when you look at um how the 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 american league shapes up is it is it possible that the yankees uh biggest threat or biggest challenge here is actually the houston astros and that the astros once again are really the team to beat in the uh american league yeah the astros i mean they sit go, second but really they they're uh they're going to be a really good team in, in uh postseason baseball uh, i think they've you know <laughs> you can debate all night long about how they won the last time but uh you know, it's a, it's a city and a team that has won it before, asterisk involved. And uh, I think that they, they made some great additions at the deadline. Uh, Velasquez, I think it's Velasquez, the uh, 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 catcher from Boston. That was a big, you know, uh, big upgrade there. And um, adding some arms. I, I think Houston could make it really difficult, but I, I still think that the Jays uh, – also are in a position where things could go really well for them uh, down the stretch here. Okay. So then the other team I want to ask you about it, like w- when you look at their record, obviously they're, they've put themselves at the head, top of their division. They're a game ahead of Cleveland is Minnesota for real right now, or are they one of those teams that's having a great regular season and probably doesn't have what it takes to get through the playoffs? The re- well, so we just, we just finished a series. The Jays just finished a series with the twins split two games and uh their 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 bullpen is something else like they've got a, a rookie duran who can throw hot, hot you know consistently uh 101 103 pitches um they've got some heat they've got a lot of heat in the back end their roster and their lineup itself like their batting order i think has some holes that the jays were able to take advantage of uh, I, I'm not sure I have full faith in the Minnesota twins being able to, to go on a long run, but I mean, we saw that same kind of situation in Minnesota or in Tampa Bay a couple of years back and, and 
we could be pretty surprised with Minnesota. Yeah. So, okay. So then the other team, and I know, again, you, you, you don't really pay attention to the national league, which is why, like, why, why, why? I don't know. You just, you just asked me how, what I think of the twins. And I literally just said, yeah, they could do really well or they could not yeah. have a great season. Yeah. Like, all right. It so really could go. I go back. I, I asked team. if the Dodgers were the best team in baseball. I, I would right. like to, I'm going to weigh in here. I think that uh-huh. there's actually one other team that might be the better team in baseball. And it's because of how well their bullpen works and more specifically their starting rotation. And that's the Mets. The, the, the New York Mets are always like peren- perennially one of those teams that gets people excited and then just chokes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But when you look at what like DeGrom is doing and what these guys are, are, are capable of, I mean, DeGrom surpassed you Darvish today for the most strikeouts in a pitcher's first 200 game career. Uh, they yeah. win five, two against the Braves who are, another serious contender in their league a very good team i believe he had 16 uh, strikeouts yeah just got back from injury yeah this is the second throws throws 16 a 16 strikeout game uh and obviously diaz comes in in relief and you sent me earlier diaz does have the best entrance in in professional sports right now (laughs) uh it's pretty it's pretty awesome you haven't checked that out already definitely uh we'll put it on our on our instagram uh we'll pop it in the story tomorrow but it reminds me of Manny Rivera when he used to come out of the bullpen to, to enter Sandman uh, back in the early two thousands, because everyone knew when the Yankees went to Rivera, he was going to, uh, he was going to finish the deal. Rivera was unreal. Yeah. And he usually did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And in this case, Diaz went three up, three down to, to, to beat the Braves here in his, in, in to, to, to uh, hold on for DeGrom, big win for DeGrom. Uh, and as you say, coming off injury, and now all of a sudden the Mets have him in there too. Are the Mets maybe the best team in baseball? I mean, it's it's so crazy. I I, I haven't actually looked at much of the NL st- uh, stats lately, but just looking at where the, the Mets and the Yankees both have 70 wins already in, in August. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be the Dodgers have 75. Fun. It, oh, for sure. I mean, the Dodgers are always going to have 75 as long as there's no salary cap in MLB baseball. But uh, 70 wins for both the New York teams. That's going to be a lot of fun in the postseason. Can we just talk about the Jays now, though? Like, that's yeah. all I really all right, Let's finish about. off with the Jays. Let's finish off with the Jays. As I said, uh, what are they? Nine and a half games back and then two games up in the wild card. Yeah, so they're in a good spot. Like, this yeah. is nobody anticipated the Yankees to really go off like that. And Toronto's been able to weather some storms, fired manager midseason. Um, they've got they every year i mean okay they've got one of the best lines in terms of fielding in terms of batting this this shit works this it, it looks good there's lots and lots of offense however in the in this day and age of baseball you need to have both left and right batters and pitchers and the jays have an amazing left-handed pitcher from the uh, bullpen tim mesa who is now likely going to be out for the, in, you know, the rest of the season with dislocated shoulder. They're starting to run into problems here with how are, you know, where is that depth coming from down the stretch? It's, it's uh, yes, they can put up offense, but if they get into a bind where they're needing an out and all they have is a right-handed pitcher after right-handed pitcher with, you know, and there's not a lot of high-end uh, fastball throwers in the, in the bullpen either. It, it could pose a problem in, in, in the postseason. I think one of the things that they have working in their advantage is they've got some guys coming off injury in the next weeks or so. Uh, Nate Pearson comes to mind. George Springer 
should be back. So if they can, you know, if they can weather this next run, they play Baltimore next uh, three game series. Uh, I think most of the games they have finishing out the season will be divisional. So uh, I'm, I'm riding the optimism of what John Schneider's brought to the team uh, so far. Well, as you say, uh, I mean, look, I'm just looking at the schedule now. It looks like they play the Orioles like 42 times still. Uh, th- there's a lot of baseball still to be played. It's the first week of August. A lot can change. Um, but if you had to right now yeah. predict for me, you like who is your favorite um, to like, okay, so the Yankees are going to win more than likely win that division, right? The division, yeah. yeah, yeah. Do the so the Blue Jays are a wild card team as it stands right now. Do you so, is that yeah. where they stay, or and, are they and I go think on a charge? Well, they need to go on a charge, regardless if they can catch the sure. Yankees or not. The fact of the matter here, though, is that they need to be able to finish in the top wild card spots so they can solidify home home field advantage. And the home field advantage is bigger than all of the other MLB teams now because there's a handful of players from every single team who can't come and play in Toronto because they're unvaccinated. Uh, you know, we were really lucky to get Whit Merrifield. He didn't play for Kansas city when they came to Toronto because he was unvaccinated. He since decided that, you know, he wants to be a part of that team and, and, uh, and he's been a great asset so far. He got the vac- vaccination and, and made it so, and maybe perhaps that's what we see in the postseason if teams are going to have to go up against the Jays, but uh I think if you are the Jays, you're you're focused on getting as high as possible uh, to to ensure that they get home field advantage. And and it's a Rogers Center. Like we've seen what playoffs are like in Toronto, and and it only works into their favor. So let let me, let's finish with a slightly silly note here. You have four teams, two in each league at the bottom. Who's the worst team in baseball at the end of the year? Is it well, Oakland? This isn't, this Detroit, isn't even silly. This is just the fact. Cubs or the Nationals? <laughs> the worst yeah. of all time this year, it's the Washington Nationals. And I won't tell you that it's because they have lost the most, as in wins and losses. They've lost the most in that they got absolutely fleeced by our San Diego Padres in that one Soto trade. They traded away an asset that still had another year and a half left of baseball. He is arguably one of the best players in baseball right now, 23 years old. And, and they got, you know, four, uh, four or five of the Padres, you know, kind of higher end mediocre prospects. And the only guy who can actually play baseball and is an actual big leaguer who they wanted was Eric Cosmer. They did not get Eric Cosmer. No, he didn't want to play for them. They got Luke Voigt, a catcher who must just be furious at this situation. So the Washington Nationals are the, absolutely the biggest loser uh, in the MLB. Oh, this, even before the season's over, they've already lost this year. All right. All right. Well, we certainly did not lose today. I appreciate you at least acknowledging that the Padres are ours. Uh, I do appreciate that. That was very nice. <laughs> Called them our Padres. Uh, we'll put that down for Elliot when he gets back. Braden officially on Padres bandwagon. <laughs> All right. Uh, we will leave it there. Thank you, Braden. Have you seen, hold on. Time. Have you seen their third jerseys or their city oh, jerseys? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Those are nice. If you haven't seen the Padres City jerseys, look them up. They are right out of a Crayola box. That's very accurate. Very accurate.
All right. Uh, thank you, Braden. And uh, we will talk again next week. Everybody out there, thanks for listening. Um, little reminder, you probably heard an ad earlier in the show. We got a big launch this week for the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thursday, August 11th, um, the Running Down the Clock podcast kicks off. Tyler Walzak, who you've probably heard on the Pit Stop podcast with Braden and I and his buddy Puya are a unbelievable a couple of NFL fans who are, they've created this awesome NFL show. It's literally fans talking to fans. There's no pretentiousness. It's no, it's fun. It's casual, but it's insightful. There's great content. They know what the heck they're talking about and what they've set up is a really, really clever show. They're going to do each week for the next four weeks. They've got two episodes for you every Thursday. They're going to preview every division in the NFL prime you for your fantasy leagues, prime you for the regular season. And then when they hit Week one, every Thursday throughout the NFL season, they're going to drop a new episode. They'll prep you for that weekend's games, talk about the big storylines, talk about the whether it's transactions or injuries or just the the results from the previous week's games. It's it's going to be a really fun, in-depth NFL show, fans for fans. Check it out. Everywhere you get your podcast, you can you can subscribe right now. There's a trailer out there. You just heard it as an ad, but but check it out if you haven't and subscribe so you don't miss it when it launches this Thursday. Tell your friends about it. Running down the clock. It's going to be really, really fun. Thank you, Braden. And as always, guys, uh, thank you for listening. You can follow us on Instagram. And uh, if you haven't already, please, please, please subscribe. Uh, give us a review. Hit the, the like button wherever you listen to your podcast. It just helps get it out there. The show constantly grows. We want more listeners. We appreciate review it. us. Yeah, review, review us. Yeah, let us know what you think. Give us a little uh, feedback. Hey, how are you? All right. That was Hatrick. Patrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler Coltman and Braden Dyler Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.